119 words. Next, 2 John, 245 words. That's followed by Philemon and Obadiah. And coming in at number five is the epistle of Jude. This morning we want to talk about, and by the way, if you want to memorize a whole book of the Bible, start with 3 John or 2 John or one of those. This morning we want to talk about that fifth shortest book, the book of Jude. We want to do so because... Jude is as contemporary for the church today as would be the Sunday morning paper. It speaks to a condition that is exactly what we face today. Jude, for many people, is a controversial book. Controversial book because it quotes Jewish literature that we would call apocryphal, it quotes the book of Enos, it quotes the book that's known by the titles of the Assumption of Moses, the Ascension of Moses, sometimes the Testament of Moses. The Testament of Moses, or the Assumption of Moses, was probably written around the time that Jesus was born. The book of Enoch, the earliest date anyone has ever given it is 200 A.D., although early in the church there were some, because Jude quoted it, wanted to say, well, truly it's canonical, and, and probably Enoch wrote it. Tertullian in 200 A.D. said that's absurd because if Enoch had written a book, it would have been destroyed in the flood. Uh, no one really, by and large, gave credence to its canonicity. But these books are quoted much in the same way we might quote something. You remember last time I, I was in the pulpit, we quoted from the Chronicles of Narnia, the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. And more than once as we have talked about the challenges of life and the burden and how some have wrestled with suicide and we've, we've quoted Shakespeare, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether it is nobler in the mind to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune or to take up arms against a sea of troubles and by opposing in them to die to sleep no more. Tis a consummation devoutly to be wished. But in that sleep of death, what dreams may come? You must give us pause. Aye, that's the rub. And we can quote that soliloquy from Macbeth and say here we see a man who is struggling with the vicissitudes of life and he says I can't take it anymore I have to kill myself but maybe hell is waiting and we can cite that but that doesn't mean we say Shakespeare is divinely inspired although you'd be surprised how many people would argue that he was because so many of the things he wrote bring out beautifully biblical truths. Well, that's what Jude did when he quotes the book of Enoch and when he quotes the assumption of Moses. He is using these to flesh out his argument. And so let's look at the book. Jude, slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are the called, Beloved in God the Father, and kept for the Lord Jesus Christ. 
May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you, appealing to you to contend earnestly for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unobserved. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into licentiousness and denying our only Lord and Savior, Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jude begins in a gracious way his letter. Let's look at that salutation because it is significant for us. First of all, slave of Jesus Christ and brother of James. Slave of Jesus Christ. Paul, writing to the Corinthians, said, You're not your own. You have been bought with a price, and indeed we have. Think of our Lord Jesus Christ taken into the midst of the Roman Praetorium. They're surrounded by all of the soldiers and they begin to mock him. They strip him of his garments and begin to whip him with a lash, cutting into his flesh. Many did not live through that, but Jesus did. And then they blindfolded him. And one soldier would smite him and another soldier would smite him. If you're a prophet, tell us who hit you. And then a crown of thorns pressed down upon his brow and the blood flowed down his face. Weary and weak, they took him outside and gave him a cross to drag to the place of his execution. He was too weak to bear it. And Simon of Cyrene, who had just come in from the country, they grabbed him out of the crowd and he carried the cross. And they arrived at Golgotha and they stretched him out upon that cross and drove spikes into his feet and spikes into his hand and then lifted that cross and stuck it into a socket in the ground and his flesh was torn and hanging between heaven and earth his enemies jeered him in his suffering one of the thieves crucified, rather both the thieves initially mocked him. One finally changed his tune. And finally he gave up the ghost and said, it is finished. My brother and my sister, we, we have been bought with a price. The greatest price ever paid for any. Son of God, who had to become the very thing that he hated, sin. He became sin in our stead in order to purchase us from our evil taskmasters, Satan, the king of darkness. And so Paul wrote, you are not your own. 
you are bought with a price. And James begins his letter that way. James, doulos, a slave, or rather Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ. But James began his letter the same way. James, a slave of Jesus Christ. Now notice Jude says, brother of James. Think about that. Twice in Scripture, in both Matthew and Mark, we find Jesus' brothers listed. Matthew lists Judas, Jude last. Mark lists him next to last. James and Judas were blood brothers of Jesus Christ. They both came forth from Mary's womb. The thing that made James and Jude male was the X chromosome that was donated by Joseph. The thing that made Jesus male was the X chromosome donated by the Holy Spirit. But they were blood brothers. Think of this. Neither James nor Jude mentions that in their salutation. They could have said, we're Jesus' blood brothers, so you better listen to us. And that could have exalted them some. But they didn't do that. Slave of Jesus Christ. There is no place in the kingdom of God for haughtiness. No place in the kingdom of God for God's servants, God's preachers, God's elders, whatever, to be put on a pedestal. A week ago I sat with a young man discussing a church that he's attended. And he said, the preacher there is so honored that people bow to him. He said, not only that, he's not allowed to carry anything. And there's even one church member appointed to the honor of carrying the preacher's Bible. And so the preacher gets in the pulpit and this person comes up and ceremoniously puts his Bible in front of him. Slave of Jesus Christ. <laughs> or exalted potentate of some kind. How sad. How sad. James and Jude, blood brothers of Jesus, prominent leaders in the church, slaves of Jesus Christ, never ever citing the kinship, the physical, the human kinship they had with our Lord Jesus. You know, doesn't that raise all kinds of questions? <laughs> How could all of this happen? And over the years, people have tried to figure out ways to verbalize it. For instance, when the Arian heresy began, the church said, well, how can we uh, go against the Arian heresy? Arians, Arius said that Jesus was just a man, uh, the child of Mary and Joseph, and when he was baptized, the Holy Spirit came upon him, and so at that point he became the Messiah, but when he went to the cross, the Holy Spirit left, and Jesus died as just a man. And so the church said, well, how, what can we do about that? And so they composed the Nicene Creed. The Nicene Creed has this interesting language that Jesus Christ was eternally begotten. I don't agree with that terminology, frankly. I think he begotten happened when Mary got pregnant, but trying to find language, we can't find language to describe this indescribable and incomprehensible truth. Jude and James, blood brothers of Jesus, 
but they did not mention it in their letters. And so they began to warn. He begins to warn about a condition that is happening in the church, and he says, I appeal to you to earnestly contend for the faith that is once for all delivered to the saints. Once for all, the Greek word apox. Apox means one time, once for all, unless it's surrounded by attendant terms. Anything that is newer than 95 A.D., or perhaps a hundred at the most extreme, cannot be our authority. That means the Book of Romans, or rather the Book of Mormon. That means the Koran. That means Shakespeare. I know one man who for years was the youth minister of a church. And one day the preacher got up and gave a prophecy that contradicted Scripture. And so in the staff meeting, this youth minister said to the pastor, what you said yesterday contradicts Scripture. And the pastor said, you need to understand, my prophecies have more authority than the Bible. Can you imagine that? Later on, that man went off all kind of crazy directions, but that's really happening today in the world. (laughs) And we today are challenged by Jude who says, I appeal with you to earnestly, not casually, earnestly contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. An interesting thing is going on right now in um, Fountain Hills, Arizona. The Methodist minister has started preaching progressive Christianity. I was reading on the website, he says, uh, I am presenting to the church a non-biblical Christianity. He disagrees. He says the virgin birth didn't happen. He spends time at the mosque, and he's preaching what he calls progressive Christianity. Now, here's a surprising thing that happened. Several churches in that little town, I think there are 23,000 people in in town, several churches said, we accept the Bible as God's Word. And so the Missouri Lutheran Church, the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, uh, charismatic churches, non-denominational evangelical churches, have all agreed they're going to preach a sermon series. And so they get together and prepare the sermon, and every Sunday the same sermon is preached in all of these churches declaring the Bible is God's Word. And progressive Christianity isn't. But isn't that something? That all these, can you imagine Lutherans joining with holding hands with charismatics while they have their hands up in the air? One thing it's done, it's kind of caused a unity in the body of Christ standing against this hypocrisy. But that's what Jude calls us to do, to earnestly contend for the faith 
once for all delivered to the saints. What's the problem with those who are coming in and distorting things of the church? James says they are ungodly persons. The Greek word is asebase. Asebase means someone who lacks reverential awe. It is someone who does not have rever reverential awe of God. The, the term occurs, I forget, four or five times, I think, in Jude. And so someone who doesn't have reverential awe of God has no problem about changing doctrine, changing and ignoring the commands of Jesus. And that's what these who, whom Jude addresses or of whom he speaks are doing. No reverence of God. So we can turn the grace of God into licentiousness and we can make all kinds of changes and and Jude also says sometimes they flatter even to gain. They're such nice people, surely we can't oppose them. But we have to. We have to. We have to earnestly contend for the faith once delivered to the saints. Notice one thing he says. He says these people oppose angelic majesties not even knowing what they're doing. And he cites again this time from the assumption of Moses. He said, you know, when Michael the archangel was contending with Satan for the body of Moses, and that only occurs in the book of Enoch, Michael did not consider himself of a high enough level to address Satan. And so he said, the Lord rebuke you. And he uses that as an example of the, this interesting hierarchy that does exist in the heavenlies. We see that hierarchy. Remember, Paul writing the Ephesians describes the, the archon, the ecclesia, and so on. And finally, the katakrosmos, the powers of evil in this world. In Daniel, we read Daniel interceding and fasting for 21 days and finally Gabriel, the, the angel, comes to him and says, when you first started praying, I was sent to you, but I couldn't get through because the territorial angel of Satan was over the area, the prince of Persia. I couldn't get through. He was a higher level than I and so Michael, the archangel, was sent to dispel him. Then I could get through and bring the message. That's revealing, isn't it? That there is a, 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 an, an angelic, demonic hierarchy. There is also a godly, angelic hierarchy. And one of this level cannot defeat one of this level. And so it is important that this happen or this happen. That's why when we send out missionaries, it is important that we intercede with God to assign a powerful angel to accompany these missionaries because the devil will do all that he can, first of all, to try to kill them. The devil would like to kill every missionary in the world 
because every missionary in the world is shedding the light of Jesus. If he can kill this one, he gets one less light. Same thing is true of those who are ordained to eldership. Years ago, one time I was getting to make a trip, and Diana said to Barbara, Dad's getting ready to make a better tri- make another trip. We better pray. <laughs> Because experience has shown that every time I would go off in ministry, some attack would happen in my family. That's the way it is. The devil is relentless. But thanks be to God, he has angels (laughs) that are big and powerful and can stand with us. But it is important for all of us to understand the reverence and awe of God but also to recognize these angelic majesties. Notice Jude said, now the only thing they understand is what they know by their natural instinct, and that's what's destroying them. (laughs) This is things known with the human mind. But it's important for us to understand these matters and to contend earnestly for the faith. I'll tell you what, James doesn't mince any, or rather Jude doesn't mince any words, does he? <laughs> Says some pretty harsh things about these folks. But then when you get to the end, notice what he says. You beloved, building yourselves up in the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. In this, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Even though he has all of these harsh words to say about these people who are coming in and trying to pervert the gospel message, trying to revert the truth of Jesus, he says, but, but let's back off. I cannot escape commenting again on Jesus as he looked down on Jerusalem five days, six days before his arrest. And knowing that six days from that moment he would be surrounded by the Praetorian Guard, he would be beaten, he would be spit upon, he would be mocked. And he wept over the city. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest those that were sent unto thee, how often I would have gathered thee unto me as a hen gathereth her chicks under her wings. But you would not henceforth your house is left unto you desolate. Tears in the eyes of Jesus as he looked upon a city that was going to crucify him. Not with anger, but with tears. It is important for us to remember that even those who are opposing the gospel, even those who are acting like enemies of the truth are loved of God. Romans, I believe it's 5, 6. It says, Christ died for thee. And the word there is asebes. (laughs) The ones 
who lack reverential all, Christ died for them. Sometimes we encounter an abusive situation where a man has beaten his wife, perhaps his children. And so we pray for the wife and we pray for the children. We should also pray for that man because he has a soul that's going to hell unless something pulls him back. That's what James is saying. That's what James is saying. I read the Jude, pardon me. James, you know the difference. (laughs) That's what Jude is saying. He's saying, have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatch them out of the fire. Some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. And so as we contend earnestly for the faith once delivered to the saints, we ought to be an intercessory prayer for those who are polluting the water. My God, wake them up. My God, bring them to the truth. My God, deliver them. Weep over them as Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Let's close with this beautiful doxology from Jude. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless, with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now, and forever. Amen.